just verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Some people say, well, why do you do that? Nobody can say that I purposefully preached against them. And, you know, and that way it gives you a steady flow of Scripture and it just really a, a, a breakdown of what God has to say. And sometimes, you know, preachers have a tendency when they do that, it takes them too long. You know, I've heard people... You know, preach Psalm 23, and it takes them all year long to preach six verses, you know. Uh, that's not me, and I try not to do that. And, uh, you know, I do want to bring out as much as I can out of the Scriptures, but can I tell you this? You can't exhaust God's Scriptures. And uh, praise the Lord for that fact. And every time that I come to it, you know, even if I read it ten years ago, there's always something new for me that's there. So with that, I want to preach to you a message out of Romans chapter 1. We'll look at the first seven verses, and... Um, Pray for me as I prepare to preach. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, that verse is, you know, is referenced in many places, talking about the coming Messiah. Peter would even say this. There are things that even the desires, the, the prophets... And the angels desired to look into, and yet uh, they weren't able to enjoy the full benefit of what we get now. But he says, uh, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are, are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, and to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, we'll pray and get into the Word of God for tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I'm a man who stands in need of your help and your grace. And so, Lord, would you just minister to our hearts, and Lord, would you help me to really put into words what I see coming out of the text. Lord, to break it down and apply it to our hearts and to make it come alive and to be real, to uh, bring out those things new and old. Lord, that we might see and be grateful, be helped, and leave changed for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a man who was asking Mr. William Booth, of course, William Booth, he was the general, you know, General William Booth, I guess, Salvation Army. He was the one who started that and began to run it, and they asked him what was the secret to his success, and you may have heard this story before, but he says, he says, I was going to tell you the secret of my success. God has had all there was of me that there is to have. He says, from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught the vision of Jesus Christ could do with them, uh, on, on that day, I made up my mind that God would have all the William Booth there was, and if there is anything of the power of salva in the Salvation Army today, it's because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. And I think to myself, what a testimony. I, I just really, when I come to the Scriptures, it really blows my mind that the introduction that the Apostle Paul gives we wouldn't normally say that the greatest thing that we could start out with is the word servant. That's not something that would appeal to, to many people. You don't get people signing up to say, you know, I want to be a servant. 
But that's what Paul said of himself. We would look at him and we would say he's the great apostle Paul. He is a missionary. He's a church planner. He's this. He's that. Paul says, I'm nobody. I'm just a servant of the Lord. And, and I don't want you to put more on me than what is due unto, unto that. Everything that there is to see about me is what God has done in my life. I, I am a man who has been possessed by the gospel and it's just taking hold of my heart and taking hold of my will and my life and everything that there is to have. God has had all there is of me, and that is the secret to his success. And thank God for that. And I believe that that's what God would have us to see here out of the text tonight. There are two Greek words that we would think of when it comes to the word servant. Uh, the one is the word doulos. It's the idea of a bond slave, somebody who is uh, under the commission of another, and they, they have to have pay their dues, so to speak. You know what I mean? But the other word is diakonos, it's the word of deacon, where we get our term for deacon, obviously, that serves in the church. But Paul would use the word not as diakonos, not as a minister, not as one who is just serving in the church, so to speak, but one who is serving in the will of God, one who is brought under the authority, under the command of the Lord. And some people, when they think about the gospel, they think that the gospel is, well, you just get saved and... You just show up to church, you just say the prayers, you just sing the song, you just do this, you just do that, and there's nothing more to it. Paul says, no, you don't understand the gospel, you don't understand grace, you don't understand the calling of God upon your life, you don't understand what He's done for you. If, if, if you think all it is is just to show up and for your face to be seen and somebody be thankful that you're there, you're gravely mistaken. This is for God to really do something in our hearts and lives. It's to be possessed by the gospel. And uh, what an amazing thought. For the Romans, when they heard the word doulos, it would bring to mind, well, when I think of doulos, I think of uh, uh, Sarah taught me years ago when we were beginning to have children, there's a, a doula <laughs> when it comes to having children, but that's another story. But anyway, doulos. Uh, would be the slaves of Caesar. You know, there's many different slaves throughout uh, the, the old times that were there, but to be uh, somebody who was a servant in the house of Caesar came with a certain prestige, a certain uh, ring to it. I'm, I'm working in the palace. I get to be among the, those in authority. I get to have all the freedoms and joys of serving in Caesar's household. That's probably what they would have thought of. But now Paul brings that and he applies it to being a servant of Jesus Christ, the, the freedom to be able to serve the Lord in the Lord's house. You know, Moses was said over the book of Hebrews that Moses was a servant, a faithful servant in all my house. That's what it says of Moses. Call Abraham, he was a servant of God. Moses was a servant of God. David was a servant of God. All the prophets you read through there, the one thing that's said about every single one of them, they were servants of God. And I think that if anything's going to happen in our lives, we got to realize the day we got saved, we, we, didn't, we don't continue on in that same life that we used to live. We become servants, servants of the Most High God. They were men under authority of the divine living Lord, servants apprehended for the glory of God, separated from the world. I like how the Apostle Paul says over the book of Galatians where he says, I, I have been separated from my mother's womb. In other words, he's talking about the new birth. 
But he says, I'm no longer living after the flesh to do the works of the flesh, but I've been separated unto God. I've been born again. I've been born from above. I've been, I have the Holy Spirit applied to my life to live it in a way to bring fruit into the glory of Jesus Christ. And then he says at the book, at the end of the book of Galatians, he says this, I've been crucified unto, unto, the, unto the world and the world unto me. There's this great big separation that Paul pictures. He says, I don't want to be a part of the world anymore, and I don't want to live in the world anymore, and I don't want to live that old life or any of the, any of the prestige that may have come to it. He says, I count all that by loss, I count all of it by dung, but that I, that I may win Christ. That's what he brings to the forefront of this. So it was a good thing when the day that the gospel came into the life of the Apostle Paul, separated from the world, submitted to the will of God, those that we talk about, Abraham and Moses, David, the prophets, they weren't people who were going out and trying to do their own bidding and their own way of life. They weren't out there trying to make a name for themselves. They weren't trying to be somebody great except for to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But they were submitted to the will of God. The theme of the book of Romans, as we go through, it can be broken down to the one word, which is the gospel. And the gospel, uh, he, he applies it in such a way, it's, to me it's interesting. I had a hard time breaking down how to apply this, this sermon for this, this tonight. Why? Because I see the words, he, he mentions the sermon, and at the end of the book of Romans 6, 16, he calls it my, my gospel. It was the gospel, and it is my gospel, and then I wondered if it's your gospel, and, and, and I thought about that. But he breaks down the gospel in such a way so powerfully. He shows us what salvation really is and what it's all about. How he came to conquer sin, how he came to break down the law as he come to wipe out the law that destroyed and brought us all under the guilt and condemnation uh, of Jesus Christ, the one that uh, kept us from going into heaven because, you know, it says in Romans chapter 3 that every mouth may be stopped. We, we don't have anything to answer except for guilty. And Jesus settled that law and he pictured salvation in such a way that Christ settled that law and satisfied it with his shed blood. And he says we couldn't be good, be good enough in order to fulfill the law in any sort of fashion. But uh, what God wants from us is not the keeping of the law, but what God wants from us is faith in Jesus Christ. And he pictures it in that way. He says there's salvation to the forefront. Then there's sanctification, the way that we ought to live. We're not to live in the way this free grace movement that's going on, of which we say, well, you know, I got grace, and so I can live any way that I want to. It doesn't matter the sins I've committed. It doesn't matter uh, the things that I'm doing, whether they're wrong or right. Why? Because it's grace, and grace doesn't mean anything. And they have this cheap view of grace. But Paul begins to picture not only the salvation, but the sanctification that's involved. And then the third part of that is the service in which uh, the Apostle Paul himself was enlisted into. And he says, you need to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And as he breaks down the book of Romans, this gospel is so much more than what you and I can even picture or comprehend in our mind. People today write large volumes of books to really say, this is the gospel. <laughs> and though... At the same time, it's so simple, even a child can understand it. Paul, to Paul, the gospel was not just a matter of correct theology. 
Some people, when you talk to them about the gospel, it's just a matter of the cold, hard facts. It's just a matter of logic. It's just some theological jargon. They could rattle off some verses, but there's no heart behind it. To the Apostle Paul, it was more than just going through and just memorizing, rattling off verses. It was something that had changed his whole life. Something that had grabbed a hold of him. Something that had apprehended him. Something that had controlled his every, every, every thought, his every intent, his every desire. Uh, I, I, I like in Second Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, both of them come to mind. He says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He says, but uh, we're constrained by the love of Christ. He was a man who was constrained by the gospel. Somebody once asked me, what is, what is Christianity? And, uh, you know, we could come up with all kinds of things that we could fit into there, but Paul does it very, very adequately when he pictures over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, it's Christ and you, the hope of glory. If, there's, if, it's, if it's not Christ and you, it's no Christianity. If there's no hope in it, it's no Christianity. There's no glory of God in it. There's no Christianity. As Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul was conquered by Christ, a man who consented to Stephen's death, a murderer. The amazing thing is, the man who had Stephen martyred and murdered, he became the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. We think about how he persecuted the church, and yet he became the greatest preacher the world has ever known. We thought about how he troubled Israel, and yet he became the greatest testimony in the church when he tried to stand before him, especially after he got saved. And he tried the first thing he tried to do was go to church, and he showed up at the church service. Everyone in his pews were nervous. They say, is he going to, is he going to put us out into prison? Is he going to kill us? Is he going to make us blaspheme the name of our God? What is he, what is this man standing behind the pulpit? And he gets up and he stands and he begins to give testimony of what Christ had done on that road to Damascus and how he just really knocked him off of his high horse and shone his glorious light of the majesty of Christ who was risen up into the heavens. And he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he began to give the greatest testimony that a man could ever give. And men were so afraid. What is this? The, 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 the Pharisees were out to kill him. And the church was afraid of him. He was stuck in a rock and hard place. It's really uh, amazing to think of what God can do with a man. Paul, when addressing King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, Festus says of the Apostle Paul, he says this, Paul, thou art beside thyself, much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Paul, it's all this learning, it's all the studying that you do, it's these books that you're wrapping your mind into, it's, it's just this, so much of this is just really warping and corrupting your mind that you're really not knowing what you're saying and, and it just really doesn't seem to make sense to us. And Paul says, no, it's not the studying and it's not the words, it's, it's Christ. Paul was possessed, yes, constrained by the gospel. He never got over the fact that God would save somebody like him. And we say, well, he really wasn't so bad. If Paul would stand before you tonight, he said, you, you don't know my heart. 
you, you don't understand what God saved me from. You don't understand what I've done. I don't deserve to be standing here. He could say in the book of 1 Corinthians, I am what I am by the grace of God, and this grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. And he says this, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was bestowed upon me. See, we're living in a world where Christians are being controlled by everything but the gospel. They're controlled by the news. Everybody's up all in the uproar, like what's going on in Ukraine? What's going on in Russia? Is there a coup going on? What's going on in America? Is there the collapse of the dollar? What's, what's going on in the presidency? Who's, who's controlling the White House? And, and are, we going to, are we going to have a future for America? And are we going to have a future for our children? What is this country coming to? And they're all wondering about it, and it controls them. They're controlled by the things of life, how to make a living and how, to, uh, how they're going to make a life for themselves, preoccupied with politics, preoccupied with problems, when we ought to be preoccupying ourselves with the one who died for us. We should not henceforward live unto ourselves, but unto him which died for us and rose again. And God help us from being possessed by anything else but by the gospel. I see here in the, the book of Romans, just in this first chapter, and I told Sarah as we were coming in, I said, really, she was asking me, how do you summarize, how do you summarize the message for tonight? It's a servant of Jesus Christ. It's really comprehending what that means. The gospel. The grace of God. It's what it means to be called into God's service uh, Paul talks about being called to be an apostle. He tells the, the Romans, he says, you're called to be saints. He would tell the Corinthians, you're called into fellowship of his dear son. What does it mean to be called? What does it mean when we talk about grace? What does it mean when we talk about the gospel? And all three of these control the life of the apostle Paul. He says, when it come to the gospel... The gospel is what possesses me. The gospel is what grips me. The gospel is what controls me. When it comes to grace, oh yes, we may use the words and we may go through the, the anachronisms and we may say all the things we know that are right to be said, but he says it's more than that. Grace is what has possessed, possessed me. When it comes to the calling of God, it's, it's demanding all of me. I'm not my own. So it's the gospel that demands all of you. Paul was a Jew, and he knew all the promises that God had made to Abraham. It's really amazing when you think about everything that God had revealed unto Abraham, called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and gave him these promises. I don't think that he really comprehended fully everything that God was trying to tell him when he says, In thee shall all the nations of the earth should be blessed. Sometimes the Jewish people had a hard time really comprehending themselves. They say, well, we're, we're the children of Abraham. We're the ones who's blessed. We're the ones who's going to heaven. We're the ones who keep the law. We're the ones that have God as our God. But it was to all nations. It was a universal appeal, not just for Israel, but it was for everybody. I believe just even in the Old Testament, as Peter would say, God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to re repentance. I don't believe that that was just a, a New Testament statement, but I believe it was something that God desired even, even in the Old Testament. 
when we see people like Rahab the harlot and like uh, Ruth the Moabitess and others who would come into the nation of Israel and how God would use them. He wasn't willing that any should perish. There was that universal appeal that God desired everybody to come unto him and, and see the greatness of this God, to flow into the nation of Israel, to see that tabernacle that was set up and see the glory of God revealed. And then, not only is it Paul is a Jewish person, that Jewish mindset, the way of thinking, the promises revealed unto Abraham, that universal appeal, but also that individual salvation that he, he really hammered home on Genesis 22, verse 18. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Paul writes over the book of Galatians chapter 3, he says, not of seeds as of many. He wasn't talking about all of the nation of Israel, but unto thy seed. He was talking about the, the, the Messiah. He was talking about Christ. He was talking about Jesus who would come and he would redeem mankind. It was his individual appeal and the person and work of Jesus Christ and everything that he came to do. For every single one of us, Paul had been saved by the gospel. Romans 1.1, it states that he had been separated unto the gospel. Romans 1.9, Paul says this, he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. It was separated under the gospel, serving in the gospel. It had been saved by the gospel. The gospel wasn't just some rattling off of facts. Again, it was his life. This was his ambition. This was his desire. Christ had all of him that there was to have. Sometimes when we open our Bibles and we go straight to the New Testament, I ask you what the, what the gospel is. You would turn over to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you say, Pastor, there's the gospel. Sometimes we say, well, Pastor, no, I know what the gospel is. It's over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And you can go through and you can rattle off those scriptures. And you go, moreover, brethren, you know, and he'll go into every single one of those verses, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen of, of Cephas and of the eleven and of the five, over 500 brethren. The last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. You can say, that, that is the gospel. No doubt about it, that is the gospel. But again, when we look at the gospel, it's, it's, it's much more than that. You see, Paul, Paul had it applied to his life in a very real way, a man who was a Pharisee, a man who tried to keep the law, and he tried to go out and just to fight against anybody who would do anything or say anything against the law. To say that Jesus was a Christ went against his understanding of what the law was. It was all about the law for him and serving in the law and being under the law and doing th the things of the law. He says, concerning the law, I was blameless in Philippians chapter 3. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, born of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, when he, you name it, I've done that. I've, I've, I've checked off all the boxes. If anybody should have made it to heaven, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But he says, I counted all those things but loss that I might win Christ. We look at Acts chapter 9 and Philippians chapter 3. We put all those together and we, we see what Christ has done with this man and how his eyes were opened after God had really met with him on that road to Damascus. The man who was prideful and arrogant and, and you couldn't tell him that he was not right. You couldn't tell him that he was a sinner. 
You couldn't tell him that Jesus was the Messiah. You couldn't tell him these things. Some of you tell me that you say, I've tried to witness for this person for years and years and years, and I, I desire to see this person saved, and they're just not hearing, and they're just not listening. You would have been describing somebody like the Apostle Paul. That was him. You couldn't tell him otherwise. And then one day Christ shone in. And he realized that he was everything and much more that the disciples had talked about. Paul would later say again in Philippians 3, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. What all things, Paul? That reputation, everything that I had built for myself, all things but loss. So that I do count them but done, that I may win Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to have his own righteousness. Not my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is of Christ and, and by faith. The righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And then he says, but I follow after. And here it is. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He had been so apprehended and, and wrapped up into this, this gospel. The fact that Jesus would die for him, would wipe away the law that he had tried his best to keep, to serve and submit under the law, and just really uh, took, took away all of that and gave him freedom in Christ Jesus and, and really showed him mercy when he didn't deserve the mercy. To give him a life and give him a calling and give him everything that he, he, he didn't even know that he wanted or desired. And the first thing that God had to do was deal with the Apostle Paul's pride. That's what he does for every one of us tonight. He deals with our prideful heart. He reflects on what Christ has done, and let's go over to 1 Corinthians 6 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I love this. First Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> it says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And here it is, verse 11, and such were some of you, here it is, but you are washed but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What is that? That's the gospel and what it did for his life. And then verses 19 through 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. In other words, he shows us that there had been a price that was paid, the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And he recognized that uh, because of his sin, that there was a price that had to be paid, and, and Jesus paid that price for him. And there's a possession that really that's pictured in that as well. Why? Because he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. 
There's the price and there's the possession. He says, it's not me, it's Christ that's indwelling this body. The Holy Spirit is the temple of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit is, the, is Christ living in me. I'm, I've... Listen, there's people that have been possessed by a lot of things, but we ought to be possessed by the gospel. The rest of the verse states this, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And what I want to show you there in that last part of it is there's a proper response in how we understand the gospel. Therefore, because there was a price that was paid, because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, because of those two things, those two facts, because of all that, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Just so outside of Christianity that we see today, it just blows your mind. Paul could say he was a servant of Jesus Christ because he had been bought with a price. And guess what? If you're saved, what's the same thing could be said of us. I've been bought with a price. Paul, why do you say you're a servant of Jesus Christ? Why? Because I've been bought with a price. Why do you say you're a servant of Jesus Christ? Why? Because he, he indwells this body. And I'm His. I can't just do anything that I feel like with this body. I'm not going to go out there and I'm not going to do, you know, uh, treat this body recklessly. Why? Because it's Christ's body. Some people may not like that. You know, you begin to preach against certain sins and they're like, uh, uh, you know, what are you talking about? I don't see that in the Bible. I smoke and I do this and I do that and I don't see that in the Bible. Well, would you do that in the house of God? I guess there are some people that would. But as a holy God, it's not just when you come into the house of God because your body is that house of God. You say, I wouldn't do it in the house of God, but if you do it in your body, you're doing it to the house of God. Considering the power of the gospel, Paul, Paul doesn't introduce himself as St. Saint, Saint Paul. He got all these churches erected and, you know, People, you know, they put in the, the top of the title of the, the, the Bible, the, the epistles of St. Paul. He never calls himself St. Paul. He always calls himself the servant of Jesus Christ, a bond slave of the gospel. It's a simple truth. There are folks who want a Christianity to be absent of Christ in their life, but that's absurd. They want a Christianity without Christ. You can't have it that way. He, he, he is the Lord. He is the master. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You can't have a Christianity that doesn't have Christ in it. There are a lot of people out there who say that they are, they are Christians. And they're not. They're not. My Bible, the Bible tells me that Jesus was God in the flesh. You try to say Jesus is the brother of Satan. That's not Christianity. You try to say you're Jehovah's Witness and, and uh, you don't believe that Jesus is God because, you know, uh, it, it doesn't say that. Well, it says it very clear over in Isaiah chapter 40. And you use the same verse and you back it up over the Gospels. He is God. Because if you don't have Jesus as God, then He can't be your Savior. He can't be your Redeemer. Yes, He came in the flesh, but He was God in the flesh. This is what He points out. 
in the Scriptures. Christianity comes with the realization of Christ purchasing you and possessing you. And I want you to realize that not only it was the gospel to possess Christ, but it was God's grace that demands all of you. Not only the, the gospel to possess Paul, I should say, but it was God's grace to possess him. Remember how you learned the word grace when you first got saved? I remember hearing for the very first time, God's riches at Christ's expense. I mean, that, that really sounded good to me. I mean, he did pay it all. And I mean, it made sense to me during that period of time. And uh, we look at the terms of grace and we say, if I ask you what grace is, some of you would say, well, it's unmerited favor. Well, that sounds really good. I don't really always understand what that means, unmerited favor. Uh, I just know that I didn't deserve it, if that's what you mean by that. Uh, some people say, well, grace is a free gift. It is. Paul says it's a free gift. He says that over Romans chapter 4. He says, uh, now to him that worketh is, is the reward not a record of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. He says, it's not to the person who, who works, it's because of grace that's been applied, he calls it a free gift. But can I tell you, there's another verse that I think about. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I'm so glad when we read over in Genesis chapter 6, that he says, uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not Noah worked for grace, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But after that, I want you to really think with me just for a moment. Is, is that all grace is? Because I believe it demands more of our life. And when I see that uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, I, th I find something that followed that. Uh, it says that Noah walked with God. There was a walk that followed. And I find that God spoke to, to Noah and he says, uh, you know, the, uh, just all this corruption, the, the corruption, the evil imaginations of man has come up before me and I want to destroy this earth and I want you to build an ark. And, and the Bible says over the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that Noah moved with fear and he built an ark and there was a work that was to be done. Why? Because of the grace. He found grace and, and began to do something in his life. There was a walk and there was a work and there was more to this grace than just something that had been given to them and bestowed upon him. Listen, I understand we can't work for grace. But there is a grace that works. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, again, let me say this, but by the grace of God I am what I am and this grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. But get this last part for me. He says, I labor more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul said, it's not me that's doing this. It's the grace of God applied to my life that's controlling my life. And because of that grace that's been applied to my life, this is what I'm doing. And this is why I am what I am. And this is why I do what I do because of the grace that's been applied to my life. It was a work a work that called him into his service. Grace, grace does put a demand upon our life, doesn't it? Find over in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, for the grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us to denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You see, grace doesn't go about and say, well, you know, I got grace, and so I'm just going to live any way I feel like it. 
It teaches us that those things that we used to do, we're not going to do it anymore because grace teaches me Christ died for all those things. And if Christ died for all those things, they're against God and I shouldn't be doing those anymore. Romans 5.21 speaks of the reign of grace in our hearts. He says, you talked about where sin abounded. Um, grace did much more abound and it was that reign of grace in the life of the believer. Romans 6.18, being made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. The world's grace doesn't match the Bible, but Paul speaks in verse 14 of being a debtor. Why? Why did he say, I'm a debtor? To the Greek and barbarian, to the Jew and to the Gentile, I mean, he, he said he's a debtor because of grace. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 again, and that he died for all the day which lived should not henceforth live unto themselves, but to him which died for them. There was something that grace did. It told him, he says, I'm separated from that old life and separated unto the gospel of God. There's a complete change in my life that's transpired because of the grace It has a demand upon my life to walk in obedience to the word of God because I'm no longer mine. I'm his. He could say, I'm undeserving of this salvation. I'm undeserving of this calling. It changed his living forever, that's for sure. He wasn't parading around as the greatest Pharisee that ever stepped foot on the face of this earth. We sing the words, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sins. And I'm not going to sing to you again, okay? I've done that. But here's, here's what wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty. A wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. When Paul thought about the gospel, it put demands upon his life. He'd been bought with a price. When Paul thought about grace and everything that grace means, I put a demand upon his life to be brought under the obedience to the faith of the Son of God. And then God's calling demands all of you. Paul would write in several of the epistles, I am an apostle. I think maybe he wrote that in there to remind himself of who he was. He says, I don't really feel like it, but I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to shove it in your face, but, you know, I've been given this apostolic authority and I'm writing to you in the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. He writes that to the Romans. This calling that was placed upon his life, he would go into these different parts of the world. And we remember over the book of Acts where he is said to go into different parts of the earth and the Holy Spirit would stop him. No, you're not going there. You're not going there. You're not going there. He gets this Macedonian vision after praying. And he gets this Macedonian vision and he goes down into Macedonia and he sees Lydia seller of purple. She wondrously is saved, and then he goes into town, and he's going to do what he always does. He's looking for a synagogue, and he's going to go preach, and sees this woman who has a spirit of divination, and uh, she's wondering, these, these, be the, these be the servants of God. These, these are the ones who are preaching the gospel, and finally Paul has enough of it, and he begins to Give her the gospel, she gets saved, and all of their all of their money is lost because of that. Listen, Paul didn't put himself on that journey. God put him on that journey. He says, I, I don't feel deserving to do this work, but God called me into this work, and by the grace of God, I want to do it. Didn't feel 
worthy whatsoever. It's so much more. So much more. Again, when we look at the book of Romans, there's the salvation, the sanctification and the service. And he says you can't have salvation without doing something. The first thing that he did when the Lord appeared to him, and he's, he says, who art thou, Lord? And he says, what will you have me to do? God, what do you want me to do? I've messed up, I've messed up royally. I've, I've blown it big time. I mean, I've, I've, I've done everything contrary to the name of Jesus Christ there is to do. What do you want me to do? I know I can't make it up. I know I can't change what's happened in the past. But what do you want me to do? What can I do because of everything you've done for me? Had somebody this morning saying to me, Pastor, I don't feel worthy. I said, well, join the club. None of us feel worthy. That shouldn't keep you from being here. What would you have me to do? There's a service for every one of us. Well, let me conclude the message here, bring it to a, a landing, if we will. Missionary CT studies, really an amazing person when you think about it. I got two books on my bookshelf. I like the book called Chocolate Soldiers. And he said there's a lot of a lot of Christians who act like chocolate. You know, any any amount of hardship comes, they just melt and there's nothing to them. And it's you know, just really an amusing book to read through. And if you like, I'll give it to, I'll let you borrow it. But anyway, um, C.T. Studd was a cricketer, and he, he, he realized the work that God had done. He said this, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice could be too great for me to make for him. And he was a man who had a lot of riches and things that he could have enjoyed in his life, but he gave them all up to go to the mission field. I mean, he was the kind of guy to just tell us it as it is. He didn't hold anything back. But at the end of his life, he had passed off the scene and, the story is related by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, her husband Jim Elliot, who was a, the missionary to the Alka Indians. She says this, the, the first date Jim Elliot asked me on was for a missionary meeting at Moody Church in Chicago. How would you like that? Your first date together, you're going to go to hear a missionary preach. He says, she says, not surprising that he would choose an event like this rather than a concert or a dinner out. The speaker was one of the daughters of the famous missionary to Africa, C.T. Studd. She told her of her father's last hours. He lay on his cot gazing around the little hut and at his few possessions, and he said this, I wish I had something to leave each and every one of you, but I gave it all to Jesus. He left it all in the field. I wish I had something to leave to you guys, but I don't have anything. Just Jesus. Paul was an apostle who never forgot what God did in his life, possessed by the gospel, transformed his life. I love to see people, you look at what they used to be, they're completely transformed and changed, completely different. Possessed by the gospel, possessed by grace, knowing that there's a change in his life. He's living for the glory of God. He's glorifying God in his body and his spirit, which are the Lord's. And then his calling, fully sold out to do what God has called him to do.
He wanted to serve the Lord. It was his desire to serve the Lord. It was his longing to get up, though sometimes people would uh, throw rocks at him and curse him and, and, and really be vile to him, even people of his own countrymen, and yet he would get up and go out again and serve the Lord to give the gospel to somebody else. I hope that this, as we go through the book of Romans, and we see what all the gospel means. I'm a debtor. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, as we look at everything that's going to come up here, I hope you come anticipating uh, for God to show you something new. The gospel is not something that's just a bunch of scriptures you rattle off, but it's something that ought to just grab all of you and change you and transform you so that when you go out tomorrow and the next day, you're, you're the person out there with the tracks in your pocket and saying, let me tell you the greatest story that's ever been told. Let me tell you what Christ has done for me. Because that what, that's what Paul did. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time together. And may we be people who are possessed, gripped, changed by the gospel for your glory. And I thank you for your love and mercy to every one of us, all undeserving sinners. But Lord, we thank you for salvation that came to us by grace. Nothing but who we are, but all about who you are. May you use this next however long that it takes to really drive home what it is to live out the gospel in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, if you will. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. We're going to sing hymn number 455, My Jesus, I Love Thee, 455.